Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to Episode 5, as we talk about witnessing and all that that entails. And in this particular episode, Episode 5, we're going to talk about a powerful platform that God has given to us, and that powerful platform is relationships. First, let's just talk a little bit about how we summarize Episode 4 that we looked at last time. In episode four, I shared with you the story of uh, launching a witnessing movement without preaching and talking about witnessing or challenging people to share their faith. And as we uh, went through that, I shared that we had just started giving people a chance to share their God stories. And that's basically how that movement got underway. It never was a program. It was a change in the culture, and it took a while but it actually changed the culture of the people in our church, and it was powerful. And the church began to grow with new people because our people started sharing their God stories, not only among the people of our church or in the Bible class, but also among people in their social networks who are not Christians yet. And so this movement that was never a program changed the culture of our church and became very powerful. And it led to explosive growth in our church, and it became a movement that led our church to grow literally five times its size over the next few years. It was simple. It really didn't have a lot of structure. We just began by asking a question every time our people came together, excluding worship, not in worship, but in every other situation where people came together. We simply asked, anybody want to share what God is doing in your life? And that was episode four. Now, in episode five, we're going to talk about the power of relationships and as such, look at the primary target for sharing our God stories, our witnessing. You know, one of the big hangups that a lot of people have about evangelism is the idea of talking to strangers. I remember years ago, maybe you do too, that the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would go door to door and knock on the door. Usually they had a knack for coming to your door right when you're eating dinner and knock on the door. They were strangers and they would usually get turned away even by people like me and others who felt they were intruding. So not only is that a bad idea, it is also not very effective. And I'm not sure they still do that, but it is not a very appropriate way to share your faith. God actually has designed the plan and the platform, and it has everything to do with relationships, not talking to strangers. So that fear is gone. That fear of talking to people we don't know is scary to most people. There is a caveat to that, and that is it's not scary to people who have the gift of evangelism or have the calling to be an evangelist. But that's a very special and rare gift, as we have learned in previous episodes. But for the other 90% of us, because only 10% have the gift of evangelism or the calling to be an evangelist to train other people in evangelism that have the gift, the rest of us, 90%, do not have that gift. We have other gifts that God has given to us. The Holy Spirit has given us other spiritual gifts. But for those of us, the 90%, knocking on doors, talking to strangers, or talking to strangers anywhere, is scary. So I want to remind you about what Jesus talked to his disciples about. Do you remember when Jesus asked his disciples to pray for workers? He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers, what, door-to-door, talking to strangers? No, 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 no. 
that he would send workers into his harvest fields. There are a couple of lessons there. One is that anybody that's grown anything knows that you don't cause the crop to be ripe. You can preach at an apple tree all day long for weeks, and that doesn't ripen the apples. In the same way, people become receptive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our job isn't to make people ripe or to make them receptive, and it certainly isn't to pick green apples because they taste bad and nobody wants them. Our job is to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers where the Lord of the harvest has made the crop ripe into his harvest fields. So that's where the crop is ripe. It reflects people that are receptive. So that raises the question, where is your particular crop, the harvest field that the Lord of the harvest sends you into, where is that ripe? Well, to start with, at the very front end of the harvest season, if you will, it's clear to know that it's not strangers to you. Your primary harvest field begins with receptivity, ripeness, if you will, a harvest field that includes those with whom you have a relationship. And the longer and the deeper that relationship, the more ripe the harvest. And that's a part of that whole mechanism. So your harvest field isn't talking to strangers or knocking on doors and interrupting people at dinner. Your harvest field is those people who are in your social network. Well, that's not so hard to figure out. They're the people who connect with you on Facebook. If you do that sort of thing, they are those who are in your phone directory and they're already there. Those who are in your social network can be listed in these categories. They are your friends, people that would call you a friend and you would call them a friend. Some of them are your relatives, people that you have a relationship with because they're part of the family reunion or they're connected as some kind of relative to your family. Your social network also includes neighbors, those that are near you. That might be people who actually live next door. They could be also people that you see regularly as you go about doing life. Your next category is people who are at work and you see them wherever you work, day in and day out, and maybe for years. That's one of the primary social networks in the culture of society today. Or if you go to school, they would be the people that are fellow students at school. And sometimes you can also be a neighbor to someone and they can be a friend at school. Or you might be someone who works at a company and you discover that one of your fellow workers is going to the same night class to get a master's degree as you are going to. So some of these can be overlap into more than one category. They might be friends that are also relatives. I have some relatives that I would call friends. I have a relative that's not only a friend, but he is also a neighbor. So he is in three of my social network categories and so on and so forth. That's how you understand where your harvest field lies among your friends, relatives, neighbors, people with whom you work, or those where you go to school. So if you want to know, like, how large is the collective harvest field for your entire church, what you do is you ask everybody to add up those people who are functionally unchurched. And what I mean by that is that you can't judge another person's faith. 
in the Bible it says, don't judge or the Lord are going to judge you. And so we're not going to judge anybody's faith. But when you see a person who is functionally unchurched, they never go to church or they rarely go to church, maybe just at Christmas and Easter, there's a chance that the spark of faith is flickering very, very low and maybe gone out. Maybe it's just a habit. You're not going to make the judgment. Just if they're functionally not worshiping at a church, then those unchurched people who are also your friends, relatives, neighbors, those at work or at school, if you were to take that and have everyone in the church list those people that are functionally unchurched in those categories, you would discover the real harvest field for your church where the fruit is ripe, the most ripe. It's what they call the low-hanging fruit. You don't need a ladder to get up and get in the tree. It's the low-hanging fruit that can be picked more easily is the metaphor that a lot of people use, the low-hanging fruit, the easiest harvest, the first harvest. And why is that? Because in some category, that person has a relationship, someone in your church, maybe you, maybe someone else. So this is the power of relationships. Too many church programs ignore this reality, that Christianity is caught like people catch the flu when people are up close and personal with them. And so to quarantine people in a church and think that the pastor or the staff are supposed to reach the unchurched is a ludicrous strategy. It is a joke. It'll never happen. You're the one that has relationships. Now, some churches will not describe their mission field in this nearby country, wherever the church is, may not describe it as the relationships of the people in the church and those relationships of functionally unchurched people. Some churches, particularly in the past, have defined their mission field as like a three to five mile circle around the location of the church on a map, which is crazy because there's no relational power there except with those people who have, with your people in your church, some kind of a relationship that they're either a friend or a relative or a neighbor or someone at work or school. So the whole idea of a circle of strangers is somewhat non-biblical, counterintuitive, and kind of a ridiculous strategy for reaching lost people. And sometimes a church will draw an area around the church because they know people will only drive on average 12 and a half minutes to come to a church. But that still defines the relationship as your church, the institution. That's not the power. The power is in personal relationships. So you need to reorient that in your mind because the Christian movement travels best along relationship lines. It's those relationships that is the powerful platform for your church. It is the relationships the people in your church already have. They already know who these people are. So here's an idea. And I have written about this in the book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival. You make a sociogram. That's what it's called. You just take a piece of paper, put it sideways, and put a circle in the middle, and you put your name on that. Each person in your church puts their name in that circle. And then what you do, you fill in the four corners of the paper. So at the upper top left corner, you list your friends who are functionally unchurched, those that you know about. And then on the upper right-hand corner, you put your relatives, that are functionally unchurched, and most of us have some of those. Then in the lower left-hand corner, 
you list your neighbors who show no signs of Christian faith. And don't forget your neighbors include not only those who live next door or in your neighborhood or on your street, but also includes a near neighbor is someone who like waits on you at your favorite restaurant and you see that waiter or waitress quite regularly. That's a near neighbor. Those who serve as your accountant or your insurance salesman, that's a near neighbor. Or the checkout person where you normally go to that person at the grocery store. All of those kind of people are in your neighborhood of relationships because you get to know them after a while. In the lower right-hand corner, then put those who are functionally unchurched that you know of at work or at school. And then what you do is you take that sociogram and you put it on the mirror in the bathroom. And every morning when you get ready, you pray for those people that if they don't know Jesus as their personal Savior, that they will come to a place where that will occur. Now, that's a scary and powerful prayer because God wants to answer that prayer. And if you're in the mix of a relationship with that person, the answer to that prayer might include you. So pray with your eyes wide open and be ready for what God might do and how he might answer that prayer. Make sense? Now, as you pray for those people, you're going to get to know them in a different dimension that they don't even know you're doing that. But you want to watch for the fruit to ripen. In other words, you want to look for opportunities where they demonstrate receptivity. How do you know about receptivity? When are people receptive? Well, for one thing, if one of those people on your list, in your sociogram, if one of those people, it becomes clear to you that they are under stress, that they're going through a major change in life, or if they're facing some major challenge, then they're probably going to be more receptive. They're going through a life change, just got married, just got divorced, just lost their spouse, just lost a kid, just had a kid. All those changes, anything like that, jacks the receptivity up the scale for a time. The more severe the challenge or incident, the longer they'll be receptive. The less severe, the less dramatic the incident, the shorter window that you have for receptivity. And every Christian ought to know that stuff. That's just basic Christianity 101 because it's basic mission 101. So then as you hear their story or learn about their story, you ask yourself, now, wait a minute. Do I have a God story from my history that is somewhere in the ballpark of what they're going through that I could share with the person and connect with them at a level of their feelings about what they're going through? It's not rocket science. Any 10-year-old can do this. And so this is how the Christian movement really grows. This is when it explodes, is when people get this. This is when there are things they call revival, when people get this. It's not rocket science. It's simple to understand. It is really simple to do. And this is how your church moves beyond an institution and becomes a movement the way Jesus intended it, which is not like most churches today, unfortunately. So if you want to count up all the unchurched people in all the social networks of all those people in your church, you would have a list that would reflect the primary mission field of your church. And I'll tell you what, the size of that mission field compared to the number of people that you have in worship on an average Sunday would absolutely blow you away. So for every 100 people in worship, they have, what, maybe 5 to 10 minimum unchurched friends? Minimum. So what's the immediate, receptive, ripe, near harvest, low-hanging fruit for your church? If you had 100 people in church, 500 to 1,000 people. If you have 200, or if you have 500 in your church, do the math blow you away. So what you do 
is you ask those in your church, like we did in the previous episode, what is God doing in your life? And they, they begin to realize that they've got God stories. And they list the people in their social networks that are unchurched. They start praying for those people, for an opportunity for those people to meet Jesus. And God answers those prayers because God wants that to happen. And all of a sudden, these people are connecting with them and wondering about, do I have God stories? And you're sharing God stories around the church all the time. This is becoming part of your life. This is part of your activity. And then you teach everyone in the church to look for signs of receptivity, which is a no-brainer. We just covered that. And then you just watch and see what God does. And I'll tell you what, you will watch your church explode with growth as new people come to know Jesus. I'll tell you what, most churches make this way too hard. They work way too hard. They do way too much. If you just did this and cut out all the other stuff that wears people out, you'd watch your church explode with growth. There would be a movement like you've never seen before. Because this is what happened in the New Testament. Every time you see a revival, whether you want to look at the revival movement today in China or some of those in Africa, particularly Ethiopia right now, absolutely phenomenal. This is exactly what's happening. These people get it whether they've actually learned it from a podcast or whether they've read it in a book or whether it's just something they do, it ends up being a revival. You want your church to grow? Don't make it so much work. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers like you into your harvest, not somewhere else where the crop's green, but where you have relationships. Now, be patient. Building this culture in your church could take a while. When we work with churches, we figure it takes about 36 months, although they see results already in six months. But it can happen, and it will happen, and it has always happened this way, and it's not that hard. And so let's say all of a sudden you say, see people coming in contact with unchurched people, and you're beginning to hear reports of people sharing their God stories with these people, and these people now are on a path of becoming more and more receptive, and maybe they want to learn a little more about God, the God you believe in. They want to know more about Jesus. They want to know more about life with God. They want to know more about your life with God. And that nurturing process continues, and it grows and it grows and grows with the person. And early on, you're going to come to the conclusion or someone is going to direct you in your church, someone in your church is going to direct you, well, bring these people to church. And the answer, the wise answer is no. If they're begging you to come to your church, the answer is maybe. What you have to understand is that new Christians coming to worship, and the better your worship, the harder it is for new Christians. That's a little weird, but it's true. But somebody coming from the world of the world as a, just a baby Christian, when you get into a worship service, the better the worship service, the harder it is. It's like culture shock. It's too much. It's overwhelming. And sadly, church after church seems to be all about get their body into church. In episode six, our last episode in this series, we're going to look at what to do <laughs> and what not to do if you develop a relationship, have a relationship with someone, and you share that faith, and now it's a spiritual relationship, not just a social relationship, and that person is receptive and responsive, and they're, of course, someone probably in your social network, friends, relatives, neighbors, people where you work or go to school, 
and they're showing receptivity, and they're maybe beginning to think about God, and now you're having maybe two or three, maybe four or five, maybe ten conversations with that person about spiritual issues, and maybe you've shared one, two, five, maybe eight, maybe more God stories from your life as you've sat around a cup of coffee or whatever with that person, and now you're going to be really tempted. Yeah, i got to get this person in church. Isn't that the next step? No, it isn't. A lot of people think it is, but no, it isn't. Because these people are baby Christians. And our motto is this, you don't feed a steak to a baby. So think about baby Christians, and we'll talk about it in Episode 6. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.